Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Yes, we are a podcast. If you don't want to listen to the video show, please tune into the podcast version at the One Stop Co-op Shop feed. I get a lot of feedback about that, so go ahead and check out the podcast. But if you're on the video show or the podcast, welcome. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest industry nuts and bolts. Uh, I am loving uh, talking to people, getting under the hood, uh, figuring out from publishers themselves how they do it. It is not magic, people. It makes them, there's a lot of knowledge and know-how <laughs> and elbow grease that makes it happen, that gets games to our table. And I'm very much happy to continue giving you the nuts and bolts of the industry. This is a man that I have wanted to have on my show for a very long time. He is so intelligent, has done a lot of different spots on different podcasts, sharing his knowledge. Uh, you would think he was a veteran of 35 years, publishing 20,000 games, what he knows. It's actually not that many. <laughs> But uh, you will be impressed by this man. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. We're talking about building community. We're talking about publishers connecting with consumers and building those relationships in this episode. And I have with me the uh, CEO of City of Games. He published City of Kings and the smash hit, (laughs) multi-million pound smash hit, Isle of Cats, the expansion for which is fulfilling right now. He is Frank West. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I think that you've um, drastically oversold me, but I will try and fill in the shoes. I mean, I am like 35 years old, so at least I've been around that long. But, you right. know, I, um, it's it's great to be on here. I, I love the show. I love all the education you're putting out there for people and like very happy to be a part of it today. You're not just on here because you featured me on your blog. <laughs> Although I really appreciated that. Uh, Frank has a blog at the City of Games uh, where he really tries to, you know, he's been uh, published a couple of games and he's been successful and he wants to pay that forward. So that blog is the reason that I wanted to, uh, amongst many other reasons that I wanted to have uh, um, Frank on the show. And um, just a, a callback, uh, we first connected before your very first game. And it mm-hmm. was, I think, my very first preview podcast in my old show, Every Night is Game Night. Not sure how you found us because that was a very small pod at that point, but it was like you were looking for solo people and we came up. And so that pod, uh, four years ago, five years ago, how long ago was yeah. City of Kings? It was, yeah, five years ago. I, wow. Um, um, soon, probably next month, we'll be writing my big kind of five years as a publisher kind of blog post where I'm really going to dive into it. So yeah, five years this month since I launched that, which is, so we would have spoken probably just before then. So a long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> a lifetime ago because of COVID and because of all the stuff that's happened. Absolutely. Uh, but before we get to the, the conversation topic today, which is creating those communities, uh, it like as there's a whole new audience, a whole new channel, please introduce yourself, introduce what City of Games is all about. We, we, we'd all know Hall of Cats, very highly regarded, critically acclaimed, won some awards. Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself and City of Games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, I've released a few games, The City of Kings, Fedoran Gardens, and The Art of Cats, and recently um, Explore and Draw as well, which is kind of a standalone travel version of The Art of Cats. But for me, you know, I've spent a lot of my life 
pre-board games as trying to be an educator as well as kind of someone who works jobs. You know, I enjoy going and giving talks at shows. I enjoy kind of presenting, sharing. Um, over the years, I've done a lot of consultancy for other kind of publishers, kind of behind the scenes of stuff that I don't talk about. And at the moment for 2022, my kind of, my goal has really become like just sharing that more publicly. You know, I don't want to be doing it behind the scenes. I don't want to be doing it for like, you know, for money. I want to just be kind of helping more people, helping the little person I've had, you know, over the years, publishers who have had their first game, right. And it's been on Kickstarter and it's failed. They've reached out to me and I've kind of, I've helped them get it back and they've come back with a second launch and it's succeeded. And now I want to just kind of like start writing about these things, sharing those experiences and just helping others. So at the moment, um, you know, I don't want to really advertise my games like as much as I'd love to, but I'm more than happy to advertise the blog, which is on thecityofkings.com. I started this year. I'm writing two articles a week. So, you know, there's a fair few on there at the moment, but it will be continuously kind of populated as time goes on. Mm-hmm. All right. So we are education. This is what Self Story is all about. Education, uh, you know, helping us level up as, you know, as a community uh, and especially publishers, right? So Industry Nuts and Bolts is like, you know, kind of getting behind the scenes. And I would like, uh, let's, let's dive in. Uh, your latest mm-hmm. blog really inspired me. Uh, and it talked about finding your voice as a publisher. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, it, it, it's not as easy as, okay, I have an idea for a game and I want to start a company. Let's, let's put out a game. How awesome would that be, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are actually exactly. some people that um, they, they kind of treat it that way. Right. It's like, I love my game and they're going to let the game speak for itself. And on some level, the game has to be good or whatever you're putting out has to be good in order for it to have the product. But it isn't the game that speaks mm-hmm. only. Right. The, uh, other things have to speak as well. So let's just dive into the blog. I, I think it's called Finding Your Voice. Was yep. that latest blog? Uh, so let's start there and then we'll transition to kind of how that voice cultivates community amongst board gamers but like let's just break down what your central thesis is for the blog yeah no absolutely i'll I'll dive into it and um you know if i'm if i go on for 20 minutes wave your hands and i'll I'll calm down because this is (laughs) thank you for that big passionate (laughs) topic for me yeah sure you know finding your voice is a really interesting one because it's such an important part for me of a business. You know, people talk about kind of your business goals. They talk about, you know, kind of your business values and the company kind of objectives and all of this. But as much as those things can be important, like the voice of your company, the voice of you is something that I feel is so much more important. And yet so few people really consider it. So I want to define what I mean by voice. And by voice, I'm talking about the way you put yourself across, the words that you use, whether you say I or we, whether you kind of push yourself as an individual, a small kind of casual team, or a big business or corporation. Because the words that you use to present yourself are interpreted by people, and they will start judging you and expecting Mm -hmm. things based on those words. So... A good example of this is before I started board games, I was a consultant in the tech industry and I worked for big, you know, multi-billion pound companies or multi-million pound projects. And I was self-employed. I ran my own company and it was just me. I was still just one individual like I am now with the city of games, but I was working for these big corporations and my website back then, you know, it wasn't, Hey, I'm Frank. I'm a great guy. You know, I want to work with you. It was very much a, you know, we 
are experienced people. We're used to integrating our team from our offices in Bristol to help corporations bring these new things to their employees. It was wording which was used to make it sound like we were a bigger company. And this is important because this isn't about who you are. You don't have to be a big company to present yourself in that way. But Obviously, there's a, there's a line where you have to be careful not to be deceptive, right? You can't lie. You're not here saying we're 20 people, but you're using terminology that makes it sound like you're more of a business. Mm-hmm. Whilst these days, you know, as a board game publisher, I am more than happy just being frank. You know, I don't want to be talking about offices. I don't want to be talking about distancing myself from the community. I want to be a gamer who makes games. And I talk using the eye. I talk on a personal level where I want to be friends with people in the industry. You know, just because I make games doesn't mean I don't want to play games with you. You know, if I meet you at a convention, I'm not going to take this well. Which we have. (laughs) I'm I'm a businessman, right? You're just, you're a civilian. I I can't interact with you because that's not right. And this is where voice kind of comes in because it's those Mm -hmm. words that you use. And they invoke different messages. So if you come across as like a bigger business, right? If you're there and you're saying things in a professional kind of, I refer to it as corporate speak. Some people would say management speak, you know, you're using these bigger industry words, Mm -hmm. then people are going to start thinking there's no personal connection. But equally, they're going to start thinking that you're more capable. They're going to think that you've got more experience, that you're more reliable. It's a company of people who sound like they know what they're doing are more likely to deliver than an individual who's doing this for the first time. And And even though Mm -hmm. it's the same thing, it gives you that impression of trust and responsibility, just like those corporations I used to work with. When they found out it was just me, they didn't mind because at that point, they realized that I was capable of achieving what they wanted. But that initial kind of wording to make it sound more structured, more organized, more like a business as than an individual set those expectations. Well, let me give well, an example. So um, Stronghold Games, and this mm-hmm. was before the merger, indie, before any boards and cards, they were just Stronghold Games, and they had a couple of games, they reprint the stuff, Survive, Escape from Atlantis, and a couple other uh, games. Stephen Bonacore is Stronghold Games. Yes. You never knew it, though, you know, because he came from, he was, I think, an IT guy in Wall Street, so, like, he just soaked in the Wall Street thing, and when you dealt with, you know, Stephen... Uh, or like you heard from Stephen kind of in his official voice, it was always that, what you're describing. Mm-hmm. And it always made it seem like that was like, wow, this is a company, right? This is a, yeah. and, and uh, you know, we have to like, it's, you know, put in a, an email form and like Stephen's a, is, a, is a deer, like, you know, go ahead and, and drink with him and he'll do whatever. Uh, but like in terms of his official face, like he had that public, personal professional self, very, you know, cleanly mm-hmm. distinguished. And that professional face was very, but it got to the point where it's like you, you, thought that it was like a, a big company and it was, just, it was just him yeah he he was the size of city of games and, you know, but like it the, the impression that he gave was just different and you know it, i think there was an authenticity there so people bought it you know so we'll and, talk about authenticity in a second but like what like none of this is to say that anything that frank is discussing that you know don't be inauthentic like there's different mm-hmm. ways of being authentic and that's what frank is breaking down so like if you're if you listen to us going professional uh, that's not board gaming well <laughs> we've got plenty of that this is the thing right i mean you know if i said to you asmodee right asmodee arguably 
biggest company in our industry you know um how many people out there do you think could name someone from asmodee not now like no. Right. I don't think people could these days. Obviously, there's going to be people from the sub companies they own and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And obviously, people in the industry may be familiar, but the average person isn't going to know. Whilst if you put a survey out there and you said, you know, Stronghold or Stephen Bonacore, if you said, you know, um, Jamie Stegmar or Stonemeyer Games, it's going to be very 50 50 on whether people know the person or know the company. Right. Whilst for myself, I would argue that if you put out that poll, 95% of people are going to say Frank West and 5% are going to say the City of Games because I project myself very much as an individual. If you go to my Kickstarter pages, it's Frank West. If you look at the avatar, it's my face. There's no company logo on there. You know, I don't talk about the company because for me, that's a legal requirement of being able to do business, but it's not something that, I really care about in the slightest, right? Because for me, it's me doing these things. It's one person. That's how I want to project myself. And there's there's pros and cons to that. You know, the pros are that I get a very direct line to kind of my community. It's a very one-on-one. I develop friendships. I have a very good time. People are more respectful because when they see someone's face, they're less likely to be negative and insulting. You know, they might say, I don't like something, but people generally hide behind the mask. And when they're talking to a business, they're more likely to kind of be aggressive or use more offensive terms. Not to say that people aren't offensive or aggressive to me sometimes, you know, but it adds that layer. But equally, um, the negative side of it is that you don't get to cut off, right? I don't work nine till five. I mean, a great example of this, which I've, I've used for years because it was a few years ago now, but... I got a whole bunch of messages beeping away on my phone at 4am on Christmas day one year. And it was one of those things where I was just like, that's so many messages, something must be wrong, you know? So I get out of bed, I kind of grab my phone and have a look at it. And it was someone who's just got the game. You know, it's the day before Christmas in America. They're like eight hours ahead. So it's only like 8 p.m. They're sat at the table. They're trying to play the game. They've got a rules question. And they're just messaging me personally on my Facebook page saying, you know, not through the company, just like my personal account, just saying, like, how do I do this? And the initial answer in my head is like, well, you post it on the rules question places, right? And then my secondary thing was, well, have I defined those rules? You know, you could say people shouldn't be finding my personal Facebook. You know, I'm not one of these people who adds everyone on my Facebook and stuff. But my solution to that was now my phone automatically goes on silent between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. And if I want to check it, I will. But those beeps don't come through. And I have clear rules. You know, if you want to ask a question about rules, these are the places you do it. I don't check Facebook Messenger and things like that anymore because it's just I don't want direct messaging in my life in that sort. But that's the price I pay because my connection goes from business to personal. And when you get to that, people find it more appropriate to ask directly because they don't, it's not their fault that they don't see that barrier because I've projected the open communication levels. Mm-hmm. And this is where voice is so important, right? Because you said about Stephen and that kind of more businessy side. And for me, that more personal side. And then there's so many layers in between. And you don't have to be one end or the other. You can be in the middle. You can be a company that projects yourself as open and personable. And you can have your people and their names out there so people still feel like they're having one-to-one connections. But this is where... Um, 
a secondary topic comes into it, and I, don't, I won't dive into it too much because it's a, it's a whole other thing, but what is referred to as cross-channel communication. And cross-channel communication is effectively this concept of wherever you, as a business, wherever you're interacting with people, whether it's on the floor at a convention, whether it's via email, whether it's via phone, whether it's via Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, to use the same voice, to talk in the same way, to present your company in the same way. You don't want someone, you know, a bad example would be you go onto Twitter and it says, you know, hey, what's up? You know, do you want me to give you a hand? How's it going? And then it's like, oh, you've got a problem. Fine. You know, check out, like, send me an email. I'll get it sorted for you. And then they get an email and it says, thank you for emailing the city of games. Our opening hours are nine till five. We'll get back to you within 72 hours. Right, because yeah. suddenly it's like, what is this, right? It, that, that channel of communication has changed. Right. And this is where once you've defined your voice, it's so important that your team, your staff, everyone you work with understands the concepts of this voice and does their best to work within it mm -hmm. to maintain that consistency. Because if you can do that, you're already so far ahead of everyone else because you're providing a consistent experience across every platform, your Kickstarters, your GameFound, your emails, your conventions, and you're setting expectations because people know what to expect when they need to talk to you, whether it's about buying something or support. Okay, so uh, thank you for laying out all that. I think that what you're talking about is when you talk about the voice, we have to bring in the other side. We have to bring in that community aspect because your, your voice is connected to other voices, right? It's a conversation between the publisher and the consumer, and that is how we sell games and you know, make people happy and you know, all that kind of stuff. And setting those guardrails and setting those expectations all are uh, what you're talking about. So let's just start, you know, so we talked about the um, publisher voice and there's a spectrum and you lean one way, but like, I think like having that full suite of tools is going to be benefit every publisher on some level. Uh, let's talk about your experience with the consumers, right? And what is their expectation, you know, coming in yes. and is, does that change across the different platforms, BG, Kickstarter, and you know, retail mm -hmm. and conventions and all kind of stuff? So, like, let's just get, lay a sense for like, okay, there's the publisher voice. I want to hear what you're he what you're hearing and first, and then we can kind is, of talk about the interaction. It's, it's a really interesting part of it, right? Because we've just talked about as a publisher, whether you're one person or a team of people, you've got one voice. And when it comes to community, I think that the first failure a lot of people take or make, sorry, is that they see the community, the customers, the people interacting as one voice. Mm -hmm. And this is where they have to realize that they are individuals. And each of those individuals has a different level of experience, knowledge, understanding, a different level of wants and needs. And it's up to you to be able to address that. So, you know, a simple example would be, you know, the shipping crisis that's happened recently, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's increased the cost of shipping. And I see time and time again, publishers saying, like, shipping's expensive now. You know, on our Kickstarters, we've had to put shipping up. And people just don't get it. People are constantly moaning about it. People are saying that they don't like it. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I'm like, I understand that. I get that. I agree. But on the other hand, I kind of think, but this is on you to solve, right? We can't expect every consumer to be fully educated because that's not their goal. And 
you know, it's a ridiculous example, but I'll give you an example of this. Um, I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with pasta, dried pasta. You know, you go to a store, a supermarket, and you can buy pasta and cook it and eat it and so on. Now, imagine tomorrow if someone turned around, you know, it's a crazy world we live in, and they've turned around and they said, from now on, pasta classifies as a fruit or vegetable, and we're right. moving it to the fruit and vegetable section of the supermarkets, right? So you go to the store, it's not on the shelf. Where is it? You go up to a member of staff and say, you know, I'm looking for pasta. And they turn around and go, oh, yes, you know, pasta's been moved to fruit and vegetables now. It's, it's now a fruit, right? So you go over to the fruit section, you get pasta. The next person who comes in for pasta is going to ask the same question. The next person who comes in is going to ask the same question. And that employee, they're going to get frustrated because they're going to sit there and go, well, 20 people have asked me today where the pasta is, right? Why don't they know? Because you start to forget that each of these people are different people. They don't know the other person's experience. So the solution to that is how do you fix that problem? You signpost it, right? That person needs to report to their manager and say, look, lots of people are asking about this. So the manager might turn around and say, let's put a sign where the pastor used to be that explains and points them over to that direction. Because you need to be able to signpost, you need to be able to answer. So for me, when someone comes to my Kickstarter and they say, oh, you know, shipping prices is ridiculous, shipping prices are crazy, then point them at a post, write an article, Mm -hmm. write something on your Kickstarter page, put something in the FAQ. And rather than ignoring them, rather than say, oh, I've answered this 50 times, I don't care, just say, you know, I'm really sorry you feel that way. You can find some information about it here. You know, it's a copy and paste sentence. It takes Mm -hmm. you five seconds. But now every single person who comes along, they're going to get that bit of information and it's a problem solved. And as you get through it, more and more of your community will start posting that response for you, right? And you've, you've solved that issue. But I think that when you're dealing with consumers, you've got to think about them on those individual basis. And you've got to understand that some people are going to be happy, right? They're just going to come along. They're going to buy something. They're going to support you. They're going to have a fantastic time. You couldn't screw it up, whatever you do, right? They just seem to have infinite money. They love everything you do. They're the happiest people ever. You're then going to get the haters, right? And I, I want to be really clear here. So for unless I say otherwise, when I'm talking about haters here, I'm not talking about kind of, that bottom 5%. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. the racists or the sexists or the people with political agendas. I'm talking about nice people who are just angry about something, mm-hmm. right? And Triggered that's, people. Yeah, that's but- different because obviously there is a group that has to be heavily moderated and that has to be dealt with separately. But I'm talking about the people who have just come along, they've bought something from you before, they had a terrible experience, they're looking at your new project, they're thinking, I really wanted this, but I hate the fact it's you. Why is it you that's making this game and not another publisher? And they come in and they're very negative. Mm-hmm. And this is what I refer to as putting out fires. I firmly believe that whenever you're running like a Kickstarter, you know, Kickstarters and GameFound, it's very important to kind of think of those separately to everything else, but they're public, they're very active, and you have to respond to everything and you have to respond to it quickly. The longer you leave a fire, the more likely someone else is to respond to it. And as soon as someone else responds to it, you start to lose control. The mm-hmm. perfect scenario for someone who is angry at you, someone who is upset, someone who is confused or made a mistake, is for you to be the first person to respond to them. Because if you can do that, you can inform, you can present, and you can solve. And this is 
where it's so hard because you can't be aggressive. You can't be short-sighted. You know, if you're in a supermarket and your kid, you know, looking for your pasta and your kid's screaming and crying because they can't find their pasta, you're not going to start screaming and crying back at them, right? You're going to try and calm them. You're trying to solve the problem, tell them it's okay. So for me, you know, my favorite message, if someone comes along and they say, I'm really unhappy about X in your game, right? And I'm in my head thinking, this is something that's going to be in the game. You know, it's been tested. I'm happy with it. It's there. My standard response to that is simple. I just say, look, I'm really sorry to hear that you don't like this part of the game. For me, this is something that I feel is really important. It's been tested. People have enjoyed it and it is going to stay. However, I understand that that might mean that this game isn't for you and that's okay. You know, there are plenty of other games. I'll make new games in the future. And if you decide that this isn't right for you because of Mechanic X, then, you know, perhaps I'll see you in the future. Nine times out of 10, it just cuts it off, right? Because you're not being aggressive. You're not being argumentative. You're not trying to say, oh, it's right because of this. You're not trying to say they're wrong because of that. You're just putting a very neutral, look, I've read your point. I disagree with it. This is going to be how it is. And, you know, I'm sorry if we can't work together now, but that wording, that messaging of how you deal with those situations is, is so key. Right. Um, uh, I love what you talk about. let you about, speak now because I realize I've spoken about this around 10 yeah. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I want to step back and I think this is maybe the most useful part of this show in terms of mm -hmm. like finding your voice and connecting with other voices. Uh, you mentioned before that 5% and that's mm -hmm. ballpark, right? Like you did five or 10, like, like we're just going to say a small percentage of, you know, super fans, right? Mm -hmm. I just like love everything that you do. And they're, they're in the comments. They're like, this is great. And blah, blah, blah. They're the flag waivers. That's, that's awesome stuff. And then there's that 5% on the other side that are just like unhappy, you mm -hmm. know, they're, and they're really being aggressive about it. They could be racist and sex and whatever, but like they just be jerks. Yeah. Right. Uh, you don't have to be a racist, be a jerk. There's plenty of jerks out there uh, that are just like entitled, like, okay, the world, uh, the world's a function of me and I want my game. I want my this and like mm -hmm. held whoever is in, in the way that I could held a pet. So then you have your five, your five, and then you're 90. Right. So then, you know, what happens a lot with publishers that I see is that they'll over respond to that oh, very loud five and five and the 90s kind of gets lost because it's easy to like, you know, like that's what social media does. It amplifies the, um, you know, the extremes. Yeah. So then the five sounds super loud. Like it's everybody in the other five, like, you know, that's all like the, those are the loud ones in the 90 going, Oh, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. So then what happens is when you talk about like the complainers and we talked about this last time with Danny and, James, uh, uh, James Hudson, Danny Lowe, we talked about kind of community stuff and they, uh, <laughs> I got a little flack for this. Like uh, James was talking about like Tim from Tennessee complaining about his game. <laughs> and I could tell like, you know, uh, he, he was, I, ha I had got James at a point was a little bit salty about like an interaction and kind of worn down, right. By the complaints and by the shipping and by whatever, you know, the, and the lack of ability to kind of moderate the worst of it from Kickstarter. So it's a little bit worn down as I, I was a little bit salty. Uh, and his response came out a little bit salty. He, I know he doesn't feel that way, but like you get into it and you over respond to the loudness. So then what happens is the 5% comes, any publisher has to deal with that 5% of complainers, but then the publisher will respond in a way that almost like, okay, everybody who complains, everybody who has something negative to say is this awful person, this jerk, I'm going to mm -hmm. treat him like a jerk. That's where you know, finding your voice becomes really key as, as you think that, you know, 
do you have that default? Do you have those values? I'm professional or I'm compassionate. I'm something positive that can cut through and not treat the upset people like the 5% uh, that are terrible. You know, I and I, I I deal with that as a comment. I, I'm a content, right? Because I'll get people that are mad. <laughs> I, yes. I make people I make people mad because I that's my goal is to kind of make mm-hmm. it's to kind of provoke and but to do so in a in a, in a way uh, that's constructive. So like I'll get people in my comments that are mad, and then I'll try to work through that. I have to figure out okay, who's just triggered, and who's a jerk. Mm-hmm. If you're a jerk, you're blocked. If you're triggered, let's work through this. And I think that in a way, that's kind of what you're saying, trying to make that distinction. Don't confuse the five with the 90. Mm-hmm. Constantly try to get past that five mm-hmm. and be in touch with that nine because that's where your sales are. Well, this is the thing, because if you have, um, and I'll, I'll get to the 90, but if you've got your negative 5%, right? If you can jump into those fires and disarm them straight away, then they disappear and suddenly they do become 5% of your comments. And this is the thing, because even though they're 5%, for a lot of Kickstarters, they can be 80% of the comments because what happens is they explode. They continue, they get left unanswered. People come back, they ask again, they get frustrated. And suddenly other people jump in, they start arguing with each other and you've got conflict between the 90% or the good five, the bad five. And this is what you want to avoid. So I'm very lucky. my community has been fostered in such a way that I've not had to deal with too much negativity for a long time. I mean, I've got it up in front of me at the moment. My last Kickstarter has got 3,774 comments. I would argue that probably 1,500 of those are me because I generally respond to absolutely everything. So, you know, 2,000 other comments there. And if you scroll through them, there are only two comments that I can remember that I would classify as bad, as in like proper, proper bad. All of the rest of it went with one response and it was done. And the people, you know, they never kind of pushed that subject again because you need to protect your 90% from that drama. You need to keep it separate. You Mm. need to resolve Mm. it. And I think that the best way you can do this is instantly respond but there's the other side and this is where your voice comes in right this is where the planning comes in it's where you need to provide them with information so i always say when i launch my kickstarters i announce them three weeks before and every day is about providing information about informing people so they can make an informed decision because for me my biggest thing is I want people buying my games because they're informed and interested. So my communities have been growing all the way back to the City of Kings where my community is being fostered for people who want the game. And I'll give you a good example of this because this is one of those things where you choose between sales and community, right? Anyone who's got a community, if you're a content creator, if you're a publisher, whoever you are, you would like to grow that community. I mean, obviously not everyone, but the vast majority of people, they want it to get bigger. They want more customers. They want more viewers, more subscribers. Remember to press the subscribe button. They want more people to be growing and becoming part of that. And it becomes very easy to use marketing, to use systems that encourage people to sign. A great example is a competition, right? If you put out a tweet and say, follow me and retweet this and you might win a prize, Mm -hmm. you're suddenly gonna get a lot of followers, but 
are they good followers? Are they people that care about you, your content, or are you introducing people that don't care about you? And, you know, with a game found or Kickstarter crowdfunding, it becomes very common to push the marketing, to grab every single sale. Whilst for me, I've always tried to take an approach of, sure, I want sales, but I want informed buyers that want my game. So, what I'll do is, um, if you don't mind, so I'll very quickly kind of just talk you through two examples of this. So I'm going to go back to the City of Kings Kickstarter, my first ever Kickstarter, because I want to show this is something from five years ago, right? And I'm going to kind of describe the flow of information on that page, just from the top of the page. So if you come into that page, it's going to tell you, you know, the name of the game, your one line kind of sentence. As you get to the description, it's going to say, play account, how long it takes to play. It gives you a one paragraph description of the game. It gives you a picture of the overflight view of what the game looks like set up. It gives you another paragraph of the description of the game and some of the key elements. It shows you some artwork. It gives you another paragraph talking about the game and the gameplay. And then it shows you the components within that box. Once you've got through the components in the box, you've got, you've got stretch goals and that kind of stuff. So ignore that. And then you've got how to play. It then tells you how to play. There's a video. It gives you um, graphics, you know, animated GIFs of how to play. And at that point, you get told solo mode. You get told about the story. And then, and only then, do I tell you the price, right? At this point, you're halfway down the page. If you have got to this point, you are interested in the game, right? You're someone who's interested. You're someone who actually thinks this sounds like a game that I want because you have had to work your way through. Whilst if you go to other pages, not all of them, but you go to some of them, you'll get to the top. And I'm not going to tell you the example I'm talking about, but at the top of the page, there'll be two or three quotes and they'll be like, this is the best game ever. Oh my God, I've never seen a solo mode like this. Mm -hmm. Cooperative games, never again. This is the best game. And then it's going to say, buy it on Kickstarter today and you're going to get a free expansion and now look at all of these things you're going to get and it's only $49.99 and it is an absolute bargain and get it within the first 24 hours get a free coin oh and by the way the game is about you know going on an adventure kidding things and leveling up <laughs> they get you hyped up right it's right, right. a marketing pitch and people buy it because they think wow people are saying it's good it's great value it's an opportunity for me to save some money i'm being told everything i need to hear to buy it now my question to you is they're going to get more sales than i am but which of those two communities are you? do you think are going to have people that are interested in the game, people who are passionate about the game, people who don't care what they're spending because they're there because this is what I want versus people who are there because it's a bargain, people who are there because they're getting special promotions and deals and all of this FOMO. kind of stuff. What you're talking about and, is FOMO. Like they're there because it's exactly. triggered. Yeah. And, you know, again, just like with the voices, there's a balance for these, these two approaches, right? You don't have to do one or the other. You can layer them together. You don't have to put your price at the bottom of the page. You can put it higher up. But it's about providing content. It's about informing people. So when they come to your product, whether it's a Kickstarter, a website, a convention, or whatever, they're being sold the product. And they're becoming a member of your community because they're 
interested in the thing. They're happy about the thing. And this is where that challenge comes because it's the same with, you know, tweeting the follow to kind of win a prize. Mm-hmm. The marketing gets you more sales. It gets more people in, but then those people become troublesome. And this is where, you know, that balance of growing a community, right? Cultivating a community, because I've done this for five years now. My last Kickstarter had over 10,000 backers. You know, my community now has a core of people who are mm-hmm. interested, informed, and passionate about what I do, which means now, as I start to introduce more marketing and growing and having more people coming in from other factors, there's already a base. There's already a community of people who are educated and excited, and they're more likely to engage. And as new people come in, they police them, for want of a better word, right? They help mm-hmm. moderate them. They help control that flow of conversation. The amount of people I see who say, I've never seen a more friendly Kickstarter comment section than like on your page, right? Because I try to get people who just want to have a good time, people who have communities. And, you know, we can talk about other examples, but for me, that 90%, the challenge is not always about what you say to them, but it's where you get them from and how you get them there in the first place, because that's the precursor to how they're going to interact with you. If someone's moaning because you haven't got enough stretch goals, you're not doing them more frequently, or you're not getting valuable enough stuff for free, then those people are more likely to be there because of the price point and the marketing rather than because they're really interested in the game itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, I come from an idealist world where we only sell games to people who want those games. We only buy products from people who want to sell those products and everyone lives in happy harmony. And obviously that's not reality, right? There's always going to be people who misunderstand, people who are confused, people who thought something was something else, but it's up to us as the creators to do what we can to control that rather than blame those people when they come in and they're not happy or they're kind of saying stuff that we find challenging. Okay. So I'm going to give the massive counter argument to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and because we had, I had the conversation with Ignacy Trevacek from Portal Games last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I got into a little bit of a dust about this very topic, cultivating communities. And he's coming at it from a perspective. Like, so these are the gamers that you mentioned are the qualities of, of people that are buying games. Like they can be confused. They can be triggered. They can be uh, angry. They can be whatever. From Ignacio's perspective, those people are gamers. And, you know, if I'm a publisher, I want to sell games to gamers, period. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have to make distinctions. Like, you know, if you're a gamer, welcome, period. End of story. And I'm going to sell you a game. I'm going to you know, try to get a game or whatever it is. When we talk about making these distinctions, when we talk about making these ultimately judgments uh, of people's behavior or people's whatever, then not now we're going down a road that, you know, like a publisher might not want to go down because if you're if you're not giving games to gamers, then then you're not giving games to gamers. There's no sales, mm-hmm. right? Click sale. Give me give me the click to sale. So then that so then when you get to that idea of marketing, right, and you get to the mm-hmm. idea of like okay, you know, trying to maximize mm-hmm. those sales. Margins are thin. You know, this isn't like a, a, a you know a thousand percent profit margin <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, you know, I I I can't be so discerning because I'm dealing with gamers, and any gamer that comes in, I want to sell them product and I want to make them mm-hmm. happy. So then, that's the I mean, because and 
that's the counter argument because of what you're talking about is you're talking about making these distinctions now and cultivating a community. It's like, I don't have to cultivate anything. It's like, the, if you're a gamer, I'm going to sell you a game. And what, what is this, like, this is so much more work. And does it really result in like a more positive product? Does it really result in more sales? You know, it, it, the, the happy trial of, of <laughs> vision that you described with the, uh, if you listen to the podcast, Frank has the Isle of Cats type thing in the background where there's fluffy cats and there's beautiful mm -hmm. meadow. That's where Frank lives. <laughs> in the real world, I got to sell games to gamers or else I'm exactly. not going to And this is, you know, I guess... This is um, where that line comes in, right? Because I say the, the two examples I'm giving there between pure marketing and like my approach, there's that middle ground, right? And that middle ground is where it's important. So I, um, I don't want to kind of try and derail the conversation too much, but as I'm sure you're aware, um, you know, a while ago, kind of a month or two ago, there was a problem with tabletop simulator yes. due to some of the things that were said. And people then turned around and kind of said, you know, they need to better moderate their chat, right? They now have a group of people within their community that have negative views on something and that needs to be moderated and controlled. Mm -hmm. And, you know, quite correctly, that needed to be dealt with. And my kind of issue here is what you're saying is, yes, we want to sell games, but we don't want to necessarily be selling games to every single person in every single situation. What, in every single what thing, are you talking right? about, Frank? <laughs> because we have to make sure that we're selling games to people who are going to enjoy those games, people who are going to want them. Like if all we're doing is trying to make money, if all we're trying to do is get every single sale and we don't care about the situation of the person behind that sale, then we're not, any better than all of these big corporations, all of these big businesses. And we're not that, you know, the thing that's so amazing about the board game industry is we're a community, we're passionate, we are businesses, but we work together, we share ideas, we meet up, we're friends, you know. I talk to so many other publishers, designers, artists, like content creators, we're a community of people working together. And we do, I, well, I believe that we do have to find that balance, you know, sure, like not every single game, 90%, you know, if we can sell 90%, but that 90% is people who are going to give us that good experience, give us that good community. Then for me, that's going to create a better industry as a whole. And that's not to say that you're outright refusing to sell to those people, but you're using marketing practices that won't necessarily encourage those people mm. because as with your voice, everything's about setting expectation, right? And if you start the conversation with, hey, you're getting discounts, you're getting savings, you're getting specials, then that's the conversation. Your conversation becomes about money and value. If you market and message around the strengths, the uniqueness, the interesting aspects, then the conversation becomes about the game and the money and those aspects become a secondary focus. Sure, you know, again, you can put quotes. If you look at my latest like um, Kickstarters, you know, there's a quote at the top of the page. Those quotes are very specific. They're very targeted to certain things. That's marketing, right? I'm not going to lie. They're there to help sell games, yeah. but they're not replacing the information. The information is still there. Those quotes are kind of taken in a sense of they help sell the game as opposed to the message. So, you know, an example of that, and I'll read them off, right? I've got them in front of me. Um, I've got one from Tom.
Tom at the top, Tom from the Dice Tower, and it says, this game is excellent, and I predict this will be one of the best, them hottest, most talked about games of the year. Great game. I'm very impressed. I like teaching it, and I like playing it. That is a good quote, right? But it's there because I like teaching it. It implies mm. that this is a game that is not hard to teach. This is a game that's going to have a good teaching element. So whilst it's there from a marketing perspective, it leaves you with a message of there's something good about this game, something special. You know, there's a quote. The next quote is from Richard from Rado Runs Through. You get two games in one, basically. One you can play with your hardcore gamer friends and one you can play with your light, casual, not quite gamer yet friends and family. And it works so well both ways. Mm. Right? Again, that could just be a shorter quote of this is the best game ever, but it's taken where it's explaining there's a family mode and a standard mode. So that quote in itself is informing you of what the product is and how the product works. So for me, these are the ways that we can kind of find that balance between the two, where you're still trying to set it, you're still using other people's words, you're still using those things, but we're doing it to inform rather than to devalue what we're offering. Right. I, so like just to get back to, I, I was so glad you kind of articulated that because a lot of Kickstarters, they'll go the route of, okay, like the slam bang, you know, great game, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, 10 out of 10 or whatever it is. All oh, that ratings just drive me nuts. And I'm on the dice tower. So like I have to give ratings, <laughs> but they drive me nuts. Uh, anyway. So then you're, you're talking about like, you know, like the 90%, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so the 5% will come in, they're complaining, they're doing whatever, they're doing whatever. And then the publisher responds negatively. And there's like a friction there. The, um, the 90% will identify with the five. And like, you know, they'll like, if they um, have a, a issue or a complaint, or if they, they're happy, but they don't like the way, like they interpret that 5% more charitably. Right. Well, you know, they should be, you know, well, they're just saying their piece. And, you know, what if I say something? Am I are you going to treat me like that, too? You know, I, I, have you encountered that kind of thing and how do you deal with it? I think because in my situation, at least, I have never as far as I know, I'm sure someone will go back through the 10,000 comments and find something. But as far as I know, I have never written like an attacking comment. I write what I refer to as exasperated, a a frustrated. I settle, right? I'm the bucket of water there to put out the fire. Hmm. So I'm not going in to tell someone they're wrong. I'm going in to tell someone I've listened to what they say. And unfortunately, I feel differently. And I'm the one who's in charge of this project. So if that's unfortunate for you, you're welcome to kind of leave and move on. Right. And I'm very black and white with that. I'm I'm because again, you know, I'm not trying to get that sale. If someone comes in and they quite clearly say, Hey, I hate cats. Why is it about cats? I'm going to sit there and go, well, this isn't obviously for you, right? I don't want to sell you the game because if I sell you the game, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make an extra 10 bucks, you know, fantastic, right? I'm the happiest person on earth. I can go out for dinner tonight and buy an extra like pint of beer or something with my food, you know, but alongside that, now there's someone who doesn't like the concept who owns my game. So in my head, I've got a question. Do I believe that my game is going to fundamentally change this person's beliefs? 
Or do I believe when they receive this, they're now going to go to Facebook and talk about how much they hate it? Are they now going to go to Board Game Geek and rank it negatively? Are they now going to take all of those negative preconceptions they had because it wasn't something they wanted? They're going to feel validated because they've received it and it isn't the thing they wanted, but now they're more angry because they've wasted money and now they're continuing that negative spiral. Mm. Whilst if you cut them off in a, a friendly way, then you kind of ignore, you remove those possibilities. And I would say to you, you know, what do you think's worth more? 10 bucks in your pocket or your $10 in your pocket or someone writing a negative post about how much they hate cats for my game or rating it a one out of 10 on Board Game Geek, right? This is where you've got to find that balance because you want to sell to the people that want to buy. So I generally have found that I don't get that level of kind of negative interaction spinning over into the 90% because I'd like to feel like I kind of cut it off and kind of dry it up. Mm -hmm. But the other side to that is, and I I fully agree with you, that 90% is, you know, is the silent but important part. So I try to cater my projects around those and this will be very specific to crowdfunding but with any kind of product release you can do similar things so i refer to my kickstarters as an event right you know over covid we had a lot of digital conventions and that's what i want my kickstarters to be i want them to be an event i want people to be excited i don't want people to just come press a button and leave if you want to do that fine but if you want to be there for this event you can so i organize multiple kind of live streams of playthrough sessions play along sessions play from home sessions faqs you know ask me anything it's just all sorts of stuff but then alongside that i'm not a fan of stretch goals right i've never been a fan of stretch goals i think stretch goals are the worst thing that's ever happened to our industry and <laughs> you know when people talk about and when we talk about the negative interactions we had one of them was about stretch goals because there's i i mean i'm lucky i say there's always one i am lucky because every kickstarter i basically have one person ask me about stretch goals i'm sure there's many publishers out there who would love to only have one person ask them about stretch Mm -hmm. goals because they're very um argumentative but they came along and said i can't believe you're not doing stretch goals it's absolutely ridiculous blah 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 right and i responded to it and said look this is my thoughts stretch goals are about creating hype Stretch goals are effectively about creating interaction. Fundamentally, the reason publishers have stretch goals is they need engagement. During a Kickstarter, it's so hard to get people coming back, commenting, talking, sharing, and being excited. So we create stretch goals to make people feel like they're getting something cool so they can come and talk about it, come and share about it. Because otherwise, you could say, well, They've already bought it. What difference does it make? You're keeping them excited. You're giving them that value. So I had a message um, on my Kickstarter. I um, think I've got it here. It says, um, stretch goals. One of my goals with the City of Game, it's like I predicted the conversations we're going to have, right? Um, One of my goals with the City of Games is to produce high quality games with the best components possible. And I'd prefer not to rely on unlocking stretch goals to achieve this. With this in mind, I've decided to fully upgrade the game's components as much as possible, regardless of the funding raised. Mm. The following has already been added to every game. And then I have a stretch goal graphic of all the things that would have been stretch goals underneath it so you see that you're still getting that stuff 
but it's there. It then um, summarizes as all of the other components have been upgraded as well to ensure high quality cards, tiles, and boards are found throughout the game, the best quality possible. Um, with all this added, the stretch goals of this campaign will be very small additions to the game with the goal of not compromising the components or the game design itself, right? It's there, it's written, it's black and white. There's a whole picture of all the cool stuff that normally would be stretch goals, but I've included, I point people to it. So instead of doing that, and this comes back to your 90%, what I did was I did weekly events where every week I announced an event and then asked my community for those who wanted to take part to join in with that event. And what this did was it meant that that 90% could become engaged. They could start interacting with an event. And that event, and I'll give you the examples, were very simple. They were small things, but they caused people to engage. They caused people to interact. They caused people to share. So the first one was I got some black and white line art of the Articats, and I simply told people to print them off and color them in. And I said, if we get 150 people, whatever it was, color these in, then we're going to add something into the game. And they've got a week to do it. So over the next week, I had hundreds and hundreds of people, Facebook, Twitter, emails, Instagram, everywhere you can imagine, printing out these sheets, coloring them in and sharing them all over the internet. Now, what's good about this? Those people are engaged, right? They're enjoying being part of the project. They're sharing stuff on social media. They're interacting with the Kickstarter. But more importantly, they're, cre they're creating a moment a memory, right? What's more important, that one extra miniature that's suddenly in your game box that you forget about when you get your game, or that piece of art that your six-year-old kid colored in during the Kickstarter and has been stuck to the fridge for the last six months. You know, these are things that create interactions. I remember seeing a group of like um, a photo of five or six people who must have been in their 50s and 60s. They were out at like a pub on a table and they're all there with pens coloring in my cats. And I kind of thought to myself, would they ever imagine themselves doing that right would this have ever happened but it's creating an excitement engagement so for me that 90 percent, if you can engage them through interesting things right get them excited get them happy not just make interactions about stretch goals but make them about events and what i refer to as creating memories and moments that they're going to be able to think back to then you're already kind of winning. Your community's already there. They're engaged and all of that negativity just gets drowned out mm -hmm. by the enjoyment. And, you know, for me, very luckily, the uniqueness of the process that you're kind of offering and kind of going through. Mm -hmm. I, I want to distinguish two things that you said. There's excitement and then there's hype. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of companies, they're the same thing because they're seeing it through the lens of, oh, these, you know, if the community's excited or, or like if their emotions are up, then sales, right? Mm -hmm. So then whether I get it through generating the excitement of like an event or community or whatever it is, or just access to Frank. Frank, you're a good guy. Like <laughs> I get access to Frank and we can talk and all kinds of that gets people excited. And then hype, stretch goals and exclusives and, you know, uh, countdowns and all like all the, like the, the tricks. Right. And I think that a lot of publishers don't distinguish those two things Like they think you can get excitement by by ginning up hype. And that's where it becomes a little bit difficult. So bringing I think it just back to add yeah, on yeah. to that. Sure. sure. Um, you know, this is a spoiler of an article that I'm going to be putting out in the near future. Um, and it's titled um, 
community, not customer. And this is that difference in mindset because a lot of people, they want that customer, right? They want that sale. If they get that sale now, they're happy. For me, I couldn't care less about getting that sale right now. What I want is someone to join my community, someone who's interested, who's excited, who's going to be there for the next 10 years. And if they buy two or three games during that 10 years, fantastic. But that's like my mindset is there's a slight difference between are you trying to get a customer to buy a thing now or are you trying to get someone to join your community to be there with that like long journey you know because we're all hoping to be doing this for years right and if you buy a game today you never buy a game again sure you know again I've made 10 bucks but does that really help me for the next 10 years growing a business that kind of has this great community and environment around it? Like not at all, but if I can get you engaged, excited, and even if you don't want the game, you're just happy to be a part of that experience, then you're worth so much more than just one customer. I should have held off the interview, man. That's community <laughs> and customer. That's that's the best thing I talk about the whole time in terms of uh, building communities, and it isn't just like mm-hmm. a bunch of customers and all kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, where everything's going to fold in, so that's great. Um, so let's let's bring it back to your original blog, right? In terms yeah. of finding your voice. So then you talked about like kind of that personal side and the businessy side. Like those are two different tools, but either one can build a genuine community. Right. Either one. I think that we, mm-hmm. sometimes we get into like a, like a, a thing of like, OK, I must be personal if I want to build a community or, or if I'm business like then I'm just going to be this. I think w- one of the things I liked about your thing, because you put pros and cons of both. Right. You know, you can be that personal, open, genuine, whatever, and build community. But you could also build a trustworthy relationship with people by being business like and yes, being whatever. Sure. And you can cultivate that. And then. This like that's this that's kind of like two versions of the the thing that you're looking for, which is that community based. We're talking like you know if you're so talk a little about that. Talk a little bit about like you know using both of those voices to cultivate positive community. Mm-hmm. I think that it is interesting because again, so much of this is about just finding your voice, identifying it, and then being consistent with it, right? And that's that's the key thing. Like, the voice you're using isn't really the important part. It's the consistency of the mm. voice that you're using mm. that becomes mm. key. Excellent. And again, you mentioned earlier, you know, Stephen Bonico. I mean, I would argue these days that he's a huge member of the industry. Like, he's a, he's a face that people recognize. People know him by name. You know, he's very connected. He's on a lot of different shows. <laughs> and, I, you know, his head's growing, I'm sure, listening to this. But to start with, he was a big businessy stronghold games kind of name, right? And that's, that's the difference. So for me, I think that whichever voice you're using, it's about trying to relate to your customers whilst using that voice, not to um, treat them as one voice, but to treat them as an individual, identifying their needs and then responding them to a way that helps with that. And, you know, a key part of that, and this is, you know, if you said to me, like, what's the one thing that you do that really, really helps? And it's hard to do because obviously it's not, it's like an easy thing. It's the speed of the response. Mm. If you can respond to something quickly, that's fantastic. You know, if someone contacts me and they ask for a replacement part, then 
you know, it sucks, right? Everyone hates replacements. Everyone hates the fact they've got a replacement like issue and they've received like a damaged game. But if I take a week or two to respond to them, they're just stewing, right? They're getting upset. They're getting frustrated. But if you respond to them quickly and say, look, I'm really sorry about this. Like, we'll get it sorted. It'll take a couple of weeks for it to get to you. Giving yourself that time, you've suddenly done a 180, right? And a negative experience of it's broken has become a quick, oh my God, they responded in like four or five hours. They responded like mm-hmm. so quickly. I've never had this before. You're still not speeding up the process because you still have that timeline of how long it's going to take to get to them but you've responded, you've used your voice to communicate and to solve that initial problem. And this is for me, um, that key thing, like whatever voice you go down, whether you want to be businessy, whether you want to be professional, it's treating individuals with respect. It's identifying, are they being angry? You know, I had someone message me, like I'm in the middle of fulfillment, right? You know, there's over 10,000 backers, you know, 15,000 people are being sent stuff right now. Most of them are being sent like seven or eight items, if not more. There's 150,000 products being shipped to people within three weeks. You know, that's games, expansions, whatever. 150,000 products, you're going to have one or two components across those that are going to have issues, you know, and I get bombarded by messages at the moment and I'm, you know, I'm swimming through them, trying to get back to everyone quickly, but I get people who are so upset and they message me and they say, you know, I bought this thing on Kickstarter 12 months ago and I assumed that it was going to be here on time, which, which it was, you know, but I'd, I'd planned my wedding around the fact that this thing was going to be oh. here <laughs> and we are doing a wedding themed on this game. And one of the pieces has turned up and it is broken and our entire wedding is destroyed. And I can't believe that you've done this and ruined this special moment. Is this real? is a true story, by the way. Oh, right? no. <laughs> and, and, I sit there and on one part, you know, you laugh, right? You look at it and your immediate reaction is like, this is ridiculous. Right. But on the other hand, I look at it and go, you know, despite my views of the situation, despite whether or not I think that is right and wrong, this is a person who is generally hurt and upset, mm-hmm. who's got a special moment in their life that, potentially is now being ruined because of this error and despite whether that should have happened it has happened and the critical part is fixing it it's not judging them right we mm-hmm. you know, i say we well, you talk about on your show all the time it's not about judging people yes. it's not about telling them they're wrong it's about fixing educating informing helping and just trying to make it a better place right making people enjoy games more for me and whatever voice i'm using it's about getting back to that person helping them solve that problem and it doesn't matter if it's i if it's us if it's we if it's ten thousand people it's just fix it it's deal with it don't take it personally you know if you're going to be coming across as a business don't take stuff personally a lot of people i see they get a comment you can see the emotional impact it has on them, right? And quite rightly, I'm not afraid to say that there have been multiple times in the last five years where I've read a message, I've gone in the other room and I've just cried my eyes out, right? You know, it's painful, it's emotional, some stuff hurts. You take it so personally because this is our passion, this is our dream, this is things that we're doing because we want to be doing them. And when someone tells you, you did it wrong, you did it bad, that you're an idiot, that you don't know what you're doing, that they disagree with you, it hurts. But as a business, our voice 
has two roles. It has a mutual role, which is not emotional, not happy, not sad, just a default. And it has an excitement level where you can spread excitement and joy. But our voice should, our business voice, our company voice shouldn't be anger. It shouldn't be frustration. That should be behind the scenes. That should be talking with your colleagues, your friends, your you know other industry professionals who you know, and just let it get out of you, you know, and just bite a spoon, you know, a wooden spoon, grit your teeth, <laughs> write the email. Fidget and, you know, something, do so, do whatever you got to do to cope. To cope. <laughs> I mean, you know, I joke about this. Like, this isn't a real thing, but I often say to uh, my partner, Sarah, that I want to start a retirement fund. And the idea behind this retirement fund is every time someone writes a message that I hate, I'm going to respond to it peacefully. And then I'm going to tag it retirement fund. And when I'm retired and 60 years old, I'm going to go back and respond to them all with what I'd like to have responded to them with, you know, because we all have <laughs> a different message that we want to say, right? We all get angry, we get triggered, and that's human. If we didn't get angry and triggered, then we wouldn't really be humans, right? That, that's a part of it. It's up to us, though, how we control that emotion and how we kind of do that. And we have to realise that the customer, the community member, that stranger on the internet, most of the time, they're just upset. They're the confused. Time. They're misunderstanding. And as a business person, our job is to calm and relax and then to try and move on rather than, to inflame and cause right. outrage. Right. Okay. So I have two responses to that. I know we're mm-hmm. running long, but I mean, this is a very fascinating conversation. Uh, okay. So to go back to your example, the person has emailed you, their wedding is ruined because this component was broken. Right. Yeah. And they're like, you know, you're an idiot. How could you do this? You ruined everything, blah, blah, blah. How, you know, how could you not know what you're doing? I thought you were a professional ball, all that. And so as the pub, and I'm speaking as a content creator, cause I get like a similar version of that. So yeah. I'll just translate a little bit as, as far as I can know. So as a pub, I have a choice, right? I could respond, you know, I could respond judgmentally, mm-hmm. right? And say, okay, that's, that is not an acceptable way. I mean, come on, please. All that kind of stuff. Basically, like treating them like the 5% jerk, right? Like treating yeah. them say, okay, because every pub gets that jerky voice. And that jerky voice, you know, delete, block, don't buy, you know, move on. As you said before, move on. You could do that. And, and I can see from a pub perspective, the temptation to do that because like, oh, you know, like you came at me with all this flame and, you know, so I'm just going to include you in that bucket of people who I don't want buying my game. And I think mm-hmm. that are is a jerk. So then there's a temptation to just do that. But the, the choice is, am I going to interpret this person as the five or am I going to interpret this person as the 90? That is a good person oh generally that is a nice person that is just triggered mm-hmm. you know and can i do that and and so that's that's one right you know in terms of you know a, a person comes to the pub and and has that negative reaction do i immediately judge and say okay mm-hmm. don't know that now i'm not going to serve you anymore or am i going to work through the issue and that's hard because it's hard to know the line right there's there's a lot of times where it's like I think that the person is just triggered and they end up being like a jerk who just wastes my time. And I think that it's okay for your view to change, right? So for me, I go into every situation as a, they're triggered. It's not 
how they are and so on. Now the exception, and again, you know, I mentioned this at the beginning, the exception here is if someone is coming out and they're being outright racist, aggressive, if they're being, you know, if they're crossing that line of just what is acceptable to say in any way, mm-hmm. then they get cut off, right? That's that's a whole different thing. They just get the not acceptable and go. But if it's if it's anger, right, which is different. If I say to you, you know, you've really hurt me. I can't believe you've done this. Like you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, you've you're evil with what you've done here. This is this is horrible to deal with. But I I still believe that it is in our role to try and settle that to deflame it and it's the it's so critical to not write an aggressive thing to not write an opinionated thing to just try and calm it and relax and say look we disagree you know I'm sorry you feel that way and to calm it because my problem is is that if you ignore it and when you see people ignoring it especially you know on crowdfunding campaigns when they're backing a project that person comes back and they mm-hmm. write it again they come back and they write it again and now the problem you've got is your three steps along in the conversation and it's so much harder to fix it mm-hmm. was if you jump on it at the start you can set the terms you know you can set neutral peace offering terms and then it's up to them what their next step is and i do find that 95% of the time like the people of that 5% then you just apologize or you never see them again and mm-hmm. you move on and again you know there'll then be that sub subset that do try and push that line and then it's acceptable to cut them off but as much as it's emotional as much as you know as a content creator it hurts right you know you put out a video and someone says like blah 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 you know i can't believe you did this you know like for me you know that fat guy's waffling on that show again he's making it go on for half an hour longer than normal right you know it's <laughs> the kind of comment don't write this in the comments please you know it's it's the kind of stuff that people say but as much as it isn't a personal attack and as much as it's wrong and as much as i would love to live in a world where this didn't exist it does exist and as good people as people who are trying to encourage a good community our job isn't to enter into arguments our job is to try and police to try and solve to try and moderate to calm and relax mm-hmm. because you know it's that age old thing if you see two people on the street fighting you know do you stand there and watch and let them fight or do you try and stand in the middle and separate them right and it takes a lot of guts to be that person that tries to separate them but in the grand scheme of things sometimes it's the right thing to do right i'm not i'm not going to go too far into that but you know what i mean it's that it's our role we have chosen to put ourselves on screen we have chosen to be creators to be providers and that means we shall be judged and as much as i hate that sometimes like that's the role we've taken if we don't want that then maybe we should be doing something else and mm-hmm. i wish the world wasn't that way but there's there's that line right if you put yourself out there you will get attacked and how you respond and deal with that is the difference between whether it's going to impact you or not and i find to say if you please it you respond to it you jump on it you can disarm it so much that over time you get so much less of it other people come to your defense in a friendly way and mm-hmm. it starts to kind of create the community you want right and that's oh, the ambassadors the yeah we talked about that like, the other about the, uh, you want those ambassadors that kind of like like mm-hmm. the, the the positive 5% right uh the people that are exactly. on your side that and they they get they get it yeah right and you don't want it to be like a fight between the 5 and the 5 
because then you drive the 90 away. Like you mm-hmm. have to be able to police that as well. But, you know, like it's nice to have to be able to have that the super fan. You know, you have your 90 percent that are just like bystanders. But then you have that 5 percent that are like you really cultivated them. You've really bought their trust and yeah. they come in and they're because you know, I have those fans, too. And they're, I'm blessed. You know, when they come in there and, you know, someone will give a crappy comment and then I'll have people and I know their names. <laughs> I know who they are and they they get it. They get yeah. that, like, you know, they won't just say, OK, you suck it out. They'll say, did you watch the whole video? Or mm-hmm. they'll say, like, OK, that's not the point that Jason's making. He's making this other point. Here's this timestamp that where he articulates it like that feels really good. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about that, that positive five percent that helps not just like is a super fan that like is blind, but that actually helps. And de-escalate it, right? Because what happens in theory is you, we're talking about 5%, 90%, and then 5% at the bottom. Right. What happens is through the right control and moderation, it actually becomes 5%, 90%, and 1%. Right, and that right. other 4% are gone, right? They've been dealt with. They've been silenced. They've had their problems dealt with. And suddenly it's five good to one bad and everything just starts to feel that little bit better. Yeah. And so like cultivating that, and that's what this, this conversation has been all about. There's a lot of tools to do it. Uh, and Frank is articulating those tools on his blog. Right. And, and so that we have the cultivating your own professional and personal voices. We have, you know, you know, consumers, not customers. We have a lot. Right. Uh, and, and just like your transparency, like that just builds trust in and of itself, like, you know, transparent about shipping, transparent about pricing and, you know, availability. And like you have like all sorts of stuff. And that in itself builds that trust, you know, and I think that's, See, that's, that's really valuable. It's such an important part of it, right? You know, the biggest mistake that I see people make when something goes wrong is going silent and not telling people. People understand, right? If you're on a crowdfunding campaign, people are there to help you make this game. And if you suddenly go silent and disappear because things have gone wrong, then your your 90% become your bottom 90%, right? And you're suddenly just, you've lost everything. So nothing is more important about Honesty, transparency, just being clear, communicating, reliability, just doing things how you want people to do it. You, like you talk about the blog, like I'll, I'll mention on that, that, you know, for me, I'm trying to cover all sorts of topics. Mm-hmm. And if people want me to talk about a specific topic, reach out, let me know, put it on this video, like tweet at me or whatever. I'll add it to my list and I'll work for it because I really want to just provide as many tools and information pieces. And, you know, this conversation we've had today is a very opinionated piece right is my beliefs of how to do things i can't say that it's right or wrong i've been very successful with it and happy with it but a lot of the articles on there are like factual stuff statistical stuff as well as kind of opinion pieces and as a good mixture of helping people kind of have those tools as well mm-hmm. all right so uh i've referenced the blog uh isla cats is fulfilling right mm-hmm. now um you know, and that's that's the main thing for City of Games right now is kind of the, the outreach and the building all the stuff. I imagine you have more product coming. Are there new, are there new games coming from uh, City of Games? Yeah, there'll be um, a new game later this year, which will be announced once the Kickstarter has finished fulfilling. So I'm quite um, excited about that. But obviously, I can't talk about it just too much yet. Sure, sure. So. <laughs> Uh, we will stay tuned. Uh, Frank, you will not be a stranger on the show. This was, uh, as always, very eloquent, uh, very empathetic, very amazing. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody.
Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.